0: Good evening and welcome to Editing Aloud in the first week of the Level 3 lockdown regulations. We have joining our panel this evening a very special guest. Rashad Kassim is a Deputy Governor of the South African Reserve Bank. Um, and he recently published his Financial Stability Report. This is part of his particular area in the Reserve Bank. Um, and I wanted to actually start by asking you, uh, Rashad, Financial stability is not one of the areas of the bank's work that people are that familiar with. We know about their interest rate activities, we know about their market activities. Financial stability is a little bit technical and a bit obscure, but you've flagged a number of risks which the virus and the lockdown have brought to our financial stability. Should we be worried about the stability of our financial system?
1: Thanks Hilary. Financial stability has obviously been for a really, very long time a preoccupation of central banks. As you know that, you know financial crisis predates uh, the global financial crisis. I think what has happened uh, in the aftermath of the global financial crisis is that central banks began becoming more explicit uh, in the way they articulated financial stability concerns. Uh, and this is really in view of the fact that economists in general underestimated. Uh, the magnitude or impact that a financial crisis can have on, on, on the economy. So, South Africa, like many other central banks, began establish- resourcing its own financial stability department, uh, n- a number of uh, legislation, uh, various forms of legislation was put in place. And I think that the most important thing is that the financial stability report, which we launched last week, is really a... Um, an in, uh, covers uh, a kind of an expression of, of the bank's assessment of where the state of stability is in, in the economy. Answering your question now, and that is that I think that what we what we point out uh, in the report is that th- the nature of the Financial Stability uh, Committee is to look for potential hotspots and risks in the economy. And the, the thrust of, of the report says, uh, as we currently stand, there is no obvious uh, hot spots, but there are stresses. So uh, I think that Saravika has a, a very solid banking sector. But as you know, financial stability is not on, about banking only, it's about the entire financial system. So we we have a much better handle on the banking uh, sector. When it comes to you know what in the terminology of the Bank for International Settlement is called non banking financial intermediation or shadow banking, which includes insurance, it includes the asset management industry, we don't have any reason to be worried. But the report uh, ha- is left. So a short answer is that we're not financial stability. However, the magnitude of this crisis means you can't be complacent. And there may be areas that we need to focus on where risks may, may, may. Thank you.
0: Richard, I mean, it comes at a time where where there's a lot of pressure on the bank to do more than just its normal sort of mandate, if you like. Um, The ANC is calling on it to set up a giant infrastructure fund. A lot of people are pushing for more quantitative easing. What is is the bank's stance on that?
1: Well, let me look at this very, very uh, closely from a financial stability angle if you look at the reports uh we, we we talk about all the initiatives that the bank uh, has uh, has done since the COVID 19 pandemic took effect some of it falls squarely within its responsibility to ensure financial stability so at one level you have monetary policy uh, and monetary policy and and financial stability are closely intertwined in fact uh in some uh, uh cases, there is an argument that very low interest rates can contribute uh, to financial stability. But I think that the kind of tools we're talking about that the bank implemented, for example, the kind of liquidity, uh, buying of bonds in the secondary market, uh, short-term liquidity in the repo markets, that's really the first line of defense. What, what we're concerned with in, in financial stability is whether uh, liquidity becomes a solvency problem. And we think that that the kind of liquidity interventions that we've done uh, is really the first instrument you want to use to prevent uh, a systemic risk to the economy. So so I think that the bank the bank has uh within its existing tools been uh, appropriately applying the kind of policies that should give one the comfort that uh, you know, we're building resilience into the system.
0: Lukanya, you know, Luc- you've been watching the bank for a long time and you've been watching it in these last few weeks as it has stepped in to intervene in the markets to keep them functioning, has cut interest rates. I mean, what would your question be to, to Rashad in terms of whether the stability of the system, what should we be worrying about? What, th- th- what th- would th-
2: Actually, I think like Hillary's first question when, when she when she noted that you know, people are more into, normally mm-hmm. are interested in the rate setting for the reserve bank rather than the, the financial stability. It actually, reminded me of a conversation I had with somebody about ten years ago who used to work in credit markets, and, and this person noted about how up to that point, nobody the social ever wanted to talk about what he actually did for a living. As soon as he mentioned bonds, people would like not want to hear anything. But now, that, and times, obviously change at that point, because when, when he said what they do, then people knew about the sovereign risk and all these things. It's always a sign that it's a crisis on. So the fact that people are interested in, in the bank's financial stability functioning probably it means we should really be worried. <laughs> but, my, but my specific question really is that, I mean, in, term, in, in terms of how worried are you in terms of the long, how long the crisis can be? I mean, I'm sure in, you, you've got set you know, in you know, risk assessments in terms of like, uh, levels of growth, I don't, for example, w- w- would, your, uh, would your assessments be looking at something like 10%, like sort of minus 10% GDP, the impact on banks and that, or are you looking at something much less than that? And what happens if the, the crisis is longer and, 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 and the rate of like depreciation or the rate of uh, harm to the economy is bigger?
1: Thanks, Kanu. If I missed some of your questions because you became inaudible, with, you know, with the internet, but look, the, the, the financial stability, you know, begins from the uh, forecast of uh, of the Monetary Policy Committee, uh, and that forecast is uh, is by any measure uh, a dramatic forecast of of minus seven percent. However, we have done some stress tests. uh, And one of the most important uh, functions of the financial stability uh, department in the Reserve Bank is is to do stress tests uh, and to assess whether banks or insurance companies can withstand very dramatic uh, reductions in GDP and so on. However, the stress test that we did is something like uh, like a minus 5 percent uh, which pre-COVID is a radical minus 5% of the economy contracts by minus 5% or contracts by 5%. However, things have changed quite fundamentally. So I think what worries us most is that within our kind of current forecast, we think that banks and the financial s- uh, sector as a whole can withstand uh, uh, the, the, the state of the economy. Where we in unknown territory is what happens uh, when the economy contracts even further, or our forecasts uh, get revised further downwards, uh, and that in itself uh, will, will put the financial system more at strain. One must remember that one of the most important objects of financial stability is to really worry about the financial sector in times of economic boom. So, so the key concerns uh, in, in, in uh, financial stability, in economic boom, you get asset valuations that are somehow artificial, you get excessive leverage, uh, you get maturity mismatches in the banking system. In other words, banks are highly exposed uh, with long-term loans but have limited short-term loans. Here we're in a different situation, here we're worried about leverage or non-performing loans uh, expanding because of the state of the economy. So it's a slightly different take on how we think about it. So the, the real issue, issue here is we're not per se interested in bank profitability. You know, if, if bank profit profits decline, so be it. The question for us, and this has an important link to monetary policy, is that if uh, banks cannot perform their lending function because banks become more fragile, then not only do you have a potential systemic risk to the economy, but you're destroying what is the most important part of monetary policy, and that's uh, the transmission mechanism and credit intermediation. Economies, you know, the, the theoretical roots of financial stability go back to the role of finance in the economy. And one of the most important role of finance is that it creates pools of savings for investment. And for us, if the economy goes into deeper and deeper crisis, the, the ability of the financial sector to deliver uh, uh, in 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 credit intermediation means that it, it will take a very long time for this economy to recover, and that that's the essence of it. So so when we say we think that there are no fundamental stability risks, we're talking about an economy based on a forecast, of, you know, minus seven, minus ten. But imagine we hypothetically had a lockdown of nine months, 10 months. Then we'd be really concerned about, this is not a statement about lockdown, but we'd be really concerned about how the financial sector can withstand uh, and and play its role and function in credit intermediation.
0: Richard, you described yourself as being the worry team of the the Reserve Bank, but we're coming very close to the break, but can I push you to give us pretty much a 30 second answer on should the bank be doing more as many people suggest it should be to support the economy and if not why not i know it's a big subject but very much in brief before the break
1: look i think that that interest rate policy is a very effective tool quantitative easing that many advanced countries carry out is really a kind of a second order tool firstly we have interest rate policy and that is We've reduced interest rates by 225 basis points. So one cannot discount the fact that the bank has done a lot. It has. It has the power. It has also done what many central banks do, and that is that it's 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 got involved in the secondary market because there are there are there's dislocation uh, in the financial market, and it's playing that role. Uh, It's playing the role in liquidity, and those are pretty much. Uh, a broad array of tools that we've been uh, involved in. Beyond that, uh, it becomes a bit a bit more difficult to kind of think about uh, a consistent, credible tool that we can use.
0: The African National Congress has this week come up with a economic policy document, a series of proposals which includes many proposals that more money should go into funding infrastructure to recover us from the COVID crisis. Rob, Road, have you, Rob Rose, have you had a chance to look at that document? What do you make of it?
3: Um, Henry? Yes. I mean, I do think the document is interesting because it talks about reasserting the ANC's role at the center of the economy. Um, the sort of statism that the ANC used to rely on as a, as a core underpinning philosophy. Um, and it does suggest that the ANC wants to, they believe that COVID-19 has made, has reass, re, reasserted the role of the state in the center of the economy and they want to capitalize on that. So they talk about building new new SOEs, they talk about capitalizing SOEs and taking a leadership role. And, and that was also evident in the statements of the ANC's Head of Economic Transformation Ina Um But the issue is that it's, you know, it seems very late for that kind of philosophy. We've the, the ANC has had its role as the, as the centre of the economy and, it's, and it's, that's the reason why we bankrupt now. I mean, we have no money in, in our economy because of this centrism. Um, so to be putting more money into SA now, to be thinking that SOEs are the way to drive economic growth in this country, I think is completely misconstrued.
0: Has the state indeed, uh, the, one of the, docu- the document repeatedly says that the crisis has sort of shown the centrality of the state and how... how Good. the state is at leading us out of these things. Has the state indeed uh, shown that it has the capacity to handle a crisis like this? Rob?
3: I mean, I personally don't think it has shown that convincingly. They talk about the expertise and capability of the state. I mean, certainly the state has a role in a crisis like this to provide a cushion for the most vulnerable. But the issue is in this economic policy document, they talk about the, the state being the essentially the architect of economic growth going forward. So the state has a role in terms of providing for the people in the economy. But whether it can be the engine of economic growth, I think it's proven that it can't be that. So I think that's where, it, that's where it falls apart. I mean, certainly people are relying on the state more than ever, but they're not relying on the state for economic growth. And it's proven that that's not its forte.
0: Actually, Rob, Warren Thompson, you were saying before we went on the show, um, in Level 3, uh, the relief that the state has provided via the Unemployment Insurance Fund and indeed via social grants, how effective has that been in supporting the people who really need support?
4: Yeah, I think uh, Hilary that in the beginning, let's just be honest, the UIF wasn't designed to absorb this amount of the amount of claims that they saw in early April. I mean, this is unprecedented uh, w- what is currently happening. So uh, on that side of things, we have to take that into consideration. They have massively increased capacity, but still they could only open applications for May Uh, in terms of the new TERS benefit uh, on the 28th, which was last Friday. So I think when you come back and you also look at, I guess, uh, Sasa, where absolutely I think everyone's agreed we needed to provide this new COVID um, grant of 350 Rand a month. But then you say, well, they wanted to have uh, hundreds of thousands processed by the middle of May. Uh, I think by the end of the month they'd got to uh, I think a couple hundred thousand. And this goes back to, again, to the economic policy document, the ability of the state to do these things. And I think uh, Peter Bruce wrote a very good column uh, recently just pointing out that President Ramaphosa knows that even the best intentions and the best ambitions of the state will come to naught if you don't have uh, qualified and capable people throughout the, the, you know, the government uh, bureaucracy being able to implement these ideas. And that's the the fundamental problem, I think, with the policy document, is it just doesn't take any recognition of that.
0: Lucania, what is your take on this document? What jumps I mean, out like, of you as useful, not useful?
2: And then like, I mean, For me, what, what I find quite striking about it is, how very little of it is actually new, fresh thinking. And a lot of it, yeah, I mean, and also part of it is all you think like the government that has been in power for 25, 26 years or however long it's been, because one of the lines that I picked up there was something along the lines, all oh, this crisis has changed the outlook or the ideological arguments or somehow changed the stage, so now we can get involved in actually running the economy. But you've been governing since like 1994. So you mean you haven't been able to do any of these things for, for so long? And then suddenly this particular crisis, and why, why this particular crisis and not the crisis from 10 years ago? Or why not the crisis between like 10 years ago, say 2009 and last year, when, when, when you barely had any growth in this economy? Now while everybody else recovered from the, from, no, from the, from the financial debt crisis in 2008, 2009, I mean, we were the laggards even then. I think we only average growth around about 1% in that, in that period. So it's a bit odd for the... the Look, Kanya, we, we are losing
0: you. Sorry. Uh, Look, I'm going to move to Rob because you've, you've sort of broken up there, but maybe next time we come to you, you'll have returned. But Rob Rose, I mean... The financial crisis, by comparison, was quite mild. I mean, we had a minus one and a half percent uh, shrinking in the economy in the worst year of the financial crisis here in South Africa. Um, even the Reserve Bank, as 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 Rashad Kesson pointed out, is is looking at minus seven percent this year. Yeah. A lot of private sector economists are looking at a lot worse than that. What does that look like in terms of the sort of the fabric of 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 the economy? Which companies do you see even? surviving this even though we have now gone to level three rob rose
3: Mm. well i think the companies a lot of companies have already gone into business rescue and those that were marginal beforehand are going to be in business rescue or liquidated at the end of this um you know we've already seen some of them that were in a tough position but and then some some industries have changed forever like airlines you know I, i think that launching an airline now um the new sa is just doesn't seem to take that into account at all but i think that. You know, I think this minus 7% like I said is a little too optimistic on this. I think it's going to be devastating. And and Hillary, you know, in terms of the global financial crisis, one of the reasons it didn't have this sort of impact is it was it was a financial crisis. It was a liquidity crunch, um, but it wasn't as much of a real world impact as this current one is. 50% unemployment um, seems to be a fairly fair analysis of what's going to happen, and that's that's going to affect the economy in, in a, real, a real way, in a way that the financial crisis didn't. So I think this is going to be far worse. And I think the Reserve Bank, in its analysis, was a little too, little too um, optimistic.
0: Optimistic. On the other hand, the level three regulations as published, Rob, have been a little bit more liberal. In fact, quite a lot more liberal than, than a lot of us would have expected. Does that help? I mean, does that change the trajectory at all, do you think?
3: I think it changes it to some extent I think the 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 figures would have been far more devastating had the lockdown continued at level four. but the point is so much damage has been done um, in many 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 ways and it 's not just lifting to level three that's going to help there's no demand for many products so I think in a real a real world way it's going to be a lot worse than than anyone expects
0: look can you, um speaking of level three it, it's i think i suspect level three is going to be the, the the level of court challenges to, to the lockdown. We have had um, the court overthrow the lockdown regulations altogether in the past couple of days. Have you had a look at that judgment? Uh, what do you expect will come out of it?
2: Unfortunately, Hillary, I can only speak about it on a very superficial level, but it's based on what I've been hearing from other people. It doesn't mean the the, 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 the ruling could be devastating but but I think the government will probably will challenge it and and I do have like two weeks to uh, to to arrange to, to to change some of them or adjust some of them. But uh, I think there's been a lot of debate as well uh, about uh, about the judgment or his, or his arguments and his wedding. So like, it's not very really clear how strong but even if even if like in two weeks time it's sorted out but but it'd be better for for us as citizens or as businesses, actually, actually know sooner rather than later that what actually the case implica- did issue just a one line statement. It would be much better if they were to actually issue something a bit more fundamental to sort of like reassure people and businesses that, that, that they can continue operating.
0: Warren Thompson, I'm going to shift gear a little bit and, and, and talk about. Uh, one item in the news uh, that is not directly to really relate to the lockdown at all has been the Independent Regulatory Board of Auditors, um, whose new office bearer has raised quite a lot of questions. Just talk us through what's happened there, and why this yeah, is so a concern.
4: Yeah. So Janetha John's been appointed, I think, as uh, I think it's the CEO of, of Erba. and uh, one of her previous corporate roles was. Uh, she was on the board of um, Tonga Hewlett. And that obviously was a, one of the, the kind of what we call the mini Steinhoff uh, in terms of lots of allegations of accounting irregularities, uh, writing down of assets, uh, restating uh, financials. And she was in charge of the audit uh, yeah. oversight of that that company. So uh, I guess some questions were raised uh, by the likes of Kaya Sotoli when. Uh, Erba announced her appointment, um, and he he was basically saying, you know, have you satisfied yourself that uh, Ms. John has um, carried out her duties when she was in charge of uh, Tonga's audit, with all the necessary diligence and care that we would expect from someone in charge of the new um, auditing? Authority? The audit
0: regulator, Rob Rose, you've you've been watching that audit regulator for a while. I mean, is this is this what's needed to to get it to be more effective?
3: Well, Hilary, I mean, the issue is the context is that auditors have been in line for a while because of Steinhoff, Tongaart, PBS Mutual Bank. So you need to rebuild credibility in the, amongst, you know, for auditors. And I think that appointing somebody who was the audit chair at Tongart without explaining it better is, you know, as Kainasetoli said, you are, you're actually walking directly into trouble. Um, and the problem is that it was the board made it, the regular the Erba board made this decision and then the board resigned because their contract came to an end. So now Tito Mbaweni has said he's reviewing this, but he has to appoint a new board because he can't himself review it. It has to be the board. So you need to appoint a new board who then has to review it. It's it's a crazy situation. There's this there's, you know, such a fundamental body in our financial fabric and it has it's in a leadership vacuum at the moment.
0: Speaking of leave, vacuums altogether, Rob Rose, are your children back at school? I mean has that not been To what extent let me ask you this to what extent is the shambles over going back to school actually going to prevent the economy going back as it should
3: um i mean i do think that it's a it is a bit of a stalking horse for the rest of the economy what happens in the schools even if there are certain peculiarities to children being infected which don't affect the rest of the population um but the sheer chaos over the children are going back to school now; they're not going back to school. Is is not not exactly encouraging.
0: Not very um, confidence-expiring. And I'm going to have to stop you there. Let's hope that next week will bring somewhat more confidence, inspiration. But um, please join us again next week for another edition of Editing Aloud. And thank you for joining us this evening.